Okay, and five. Hello, hello, my name is Travis. This is Oscar Mike Radio number 205 on August 27th, 2020. And I'm joined by Marine veteran Aaron Lawrence. Um, Aaron, welcome to Oscar Mike Radio. Hey, great to be here, Travis. Thanks for having me. You know, as we start out, I just want to say first and foremost, are the hurricanes going to affect you all? Because they're close to Shreveport, or the path is. The, the path is by the time it gets up here, it'll be, it'll be rain and some wind and uh, I'll be, um, I don't know if I'll be smoking a cigar on my porch, but I'll definitely be able to enjoy a beer inside without a problem. Well, then, then tragedy is averted. Ruston is not too far from Shreveport where I joined the Marine Corps from. Did you always live in the north, northern part of Louisiana? I didn't. I was actually born in Baton Rouge and uh, moved to Dallas and was recruited out of Dallas. Okay. So uh, that whole uh, Mississippi River divide, I got to be uh, I got to be best coast. I didn't have to, you know, suffer sand fleas and nonsense. No, we just had the Reaper. You know, I, right. I, I've never heard a Paris Island Marine volunteer to go to Camp Pendleton and do the Reaper ever. No, nope. nope. So um, I'm always curious about that. You served the Marine Corps. What did you do in the Marine Corps? Uh, I served 05 to 2011 and I started off as a winger, uh, did aviation ordinance and then uh, through some some fortunate um, drinking buddies and things like that, I picked up and ended up going EOD. So. Oh, nice, nice. So you did that and did you, did you deploy, did you go overseas, were you in Afghanistan? Deployed uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan again. And then uh, when I got out after my time in 11, I went back as a civilian contractor, both to Iraq um, and Afghanistan again. Um, and then aside from those, I did a, a Pacific Rim ordinance inspection tour. So I got to see some, some island stuff too. So you do all that and something comes over you and you decide to go to law school. Now, how did that all get going? Because that's that's quite a jump from one path to the to the path of practicing law. It is, and you know, um, I'm finding there there are a decent amount of uh, prior Marine attorneys, but most of them were officers when they were in. Uh, you still got some some guys who got drafted back in Vietnam hanging around, and so they did enlistment, but uh, most very few by choice. And uh, the way it came about for me was, like I said, when I got out. I went into the uh, private security field because, you know, EOD didn't have a whole lot of uh, practical civilian application. So I didn't want to be a cop. So my next move was just let's do the same thing, get paid a whole lot more and have some fun. And so uh, ended up in operations with the security team that I was, um, the security company that I was with and did some domestic stuff after the overseas stuff. And so we did executive protection in Southern California and the owners of it, uh, one was an attorney and figured out that uh, I actually knew how to write with my crayon before I ate it. So we uh, helped each other out and I, I helped him write some policy and kind of did the grunt work, the research, stuff like that. And he said I had a knack for it. And if anything ever happened, I should consider law school. Well, not too far after that, uh, Condor, the gear company, um, bought out the security company that I had and used them as a test and evaluation wing. And so um, I was kind of left without a um, web job, didn't want to work for Condor, had seen corporate America a little bit, no, I didn't want to do that. And so I figured the best way to reinvent myself and, you know, 
get out there where I can actually just work for myself is going to be to invest in myself and go to law school. So I was only, only about 12 months away from my undergrad degree. So I finished that and kind of did went right into law school. Um, after that, you know, applied, I was finishing up undergrad and got accepted. And you did your undergrad. Did you do it in Louisiana or some other uh, state? I finished at university of North Texas, uh, which is, you know, just North of Dallas, um, is where I'm from. So it, it, it helped me when I moved back from California, I knew I didn't want to stay in California. I knew I didn't want to practice law in California. Uh, after my research, talking to people, I knew wherever I went to law school was going to very heavily impact where I could get a job, you know, diploma recognition, that kind of thing. And just uh, what bar I was going to be taking was going to be really important to me. So uh, I wanted to make sure I went to law school, at least in the region of the United States I wanted to stay in. And I knew that was the South. So I wanted to come back home. So, so living in Louisiana, we moved there when I was a teenager and, you know, taking Louisiana state history and some other things there's some very peculiar things about Louisiana versus the other 49 states. For example, we don't have counties, we have parishes. And also it's the only state that in my understanding practices this thing called Napoleonic law from the French. Can you just briefly describe what that's like versus say someone practicing law where I'm from now, Massachusetts? Sure. So um, Napoleonic law gets its name obviously from Napoleon. And the deal was it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun story. Um, it's not a total nerd, but um, it's it's pretty gangster about because Napoleon was out. He was conquering all these tribes, you know, and all these groups of people, which all had different ideas about the ways things should run or shouldn't run. Should women have rights? Should women have property rights? Should being married mean the men gets all the uh, the men get all the women's stuff, or that they're together? I mean, all these things. And uh, so he wanted a uniform code across uh, his empire. So everyone operated under the same laws. That way he could send lords from over here to govern over there and they wouldn't be too confused or have to relearn a new set. So what he did is he commissioned uh, these folks from all these different tribes that he had conquered to come together and argue um, what the code should be. And uh, hence we got the first Napoleonic code. And um, you know, it, it contemplated things like community property, which a lot of different states have and stuff like that, which has actually got Germanic and Viking history because the women raided with the men. So if we go out and we're going to get gold doubloons and whatever, then hey, that belongs to both of us because, you know, your, your chick was right there next to you storming the beach. Um, and so uh, a lot of things like that come through, and, and, but everything goes back to a code and a set, um, uh, set of rules. Whereas uh, English law is a lot more judge made. It's less legislation. It's less, uh, it's not, uh, it doesn't involve scholars as much. I, want to, I don't want to say it's less scholarly, but um, they don't really bring law schools or legal experts in to write the laws. It's just legislation and then the judges interpret and that's it. We actually have a code where we start with. So just because a judge went all crazy on Tuesday doesn't mean we can't get back to square one on Wednesday. Whereas uh, other 49 states and the rest of the common law world go back to, uh, you know, it's based on precedent. They could say, well, yesterday the judge ruled this way. And that actually means something. Uh, the way that doesn't have to mean as much down here. So really the, 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 the rule of law is based on the situation and then based on the code is, is my understanding. That's right. Okay. So you're, you're go to the, the big city and people have these real weird ideas about, uh, 
how the court system and, and lawyers work from TV, but uh, I can tell you, I've learned that that's not the case. So, you know, where did you go after you got your, um, you know, you passed your bar? Uh, once I passed the bar, I was, I mean, I, I got married. So I, I just, you know, asked my wife, AKA the, the CO, all right, well, you know, where do we go? And she said, we're going home. And I said, all right. So for her, that was Rustin. And uh, I didn't really have a home to argue with her about. So uh, her dad's an attorney and naturally he was kind enough to hire me. And um, I've got a, a pretty decent business background because anytime I wasn't uh, deployed, I was always either buying a business, working in a business, owning a business, whatever. Um, and so when he said, Hey, I need to grow my firm from me, just himself for 30 years into two and now four attorneys, uh, because let me back up a little bit. My sister-in-law and my wife, uh, my sister-in-law just graduated law school from Penn state and my wife graduates next year. So they're all going to join as well. And so, you know, he had a decent base for 30 years. Uh, you know, referrals and whatnot, but when he's going to expand it to four attorneys, it got a little, um, you know, got a little over his head. So um, I'm sorry, he got in a little over his head. And so my business background, marketing background, stuff like that was pretty welcome. And I'm lucky in that respect. So I built a website and kind of grown us and, you know, doing things like this and interviewing with you and, and stuff like that. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, kind of. I'm going to follow up with, you know, again, a lot of people see the the lawyer's office in the New York City or, you know, right. Dallas or LA, and they have a certain perception of lawyers. But, you know, one thing you don't see a whole lot of on TV or even in documentaries is that smaller area lawyer. Now, Rustin, you know, it's been a while since I've lived in Shreveport, but Shreveport's about 300, 400,000 people with the Bossier right next to it. Rustin is significantly smaller, but it's my understanding, Aaron, that, you know, with, with things changing in the economy, COVID-19, uh, impacting like rentals and stuff like that, you all can be very busy practicing law in, in, in a, in a non-metropolitan slash rural area. Is that, am I reading that right? That's right. Um, I don't, I don't know necessarily that we would be busier than, um, I mean, the law is changing for everybody and, you know, the facts are moving um, across the board, but uh, some, some different, you mentioned a couple of times uh, going from, you know, TV lawyer to what's it like in real life. And one of the biggest differences I would say is uh, surprises. Um, you know, I get it, you know, to make good TV, you have to have what we always call Perry Mason moments, you know, like the gotcha moment, the, uh, you know, oh, he admitted it on the stand. Okay. I do um, about 50-50 criminal defense law and small business law. And in both, the biggest goal is to never be surprised. Um, so that's, you know, whether that's anticipating facts, asking the right questions, you know, just talking to opposing counsel, things like that. But if he surprised me, one of two things happened. Either I didn't do my job or he did something unethical. Um, and I think that's the biggest difference uh, for, for a lot of folks that are surprised by is I can tell you what's going to happen when we go into court, um, if we even go to court. And that would be another, uh, another difference is people think a lot of things go to court. You don't want them to go to court. You've already got two, two more attorneys involved. So that's now four parties. you got the two people against themselves and each of their attorneys. Last thing you want to do is introduce a fifth set of opinions, which we call the judge, much less 12 more opinions that would be a jury. So, you know, it's difficult enough getting everybody on the same page when you only got four people. 
So the uh, the numbers break down like this. So I've been told is out of out of problems people have with each other, one percent go and talk to an attorney. Ten percent of that one percent hire the attorney. Ten percent of the things that see an attorney make it to court, and one percent of the things that make it to court make it to a verdict by a judge or a jury. So that's like one one thousandth of one percent. Uh, that's right. That's right. And. There's argument on why attorneys will tell you it's because we're very, very good. Of right? course, of course. We don't need a jury, right? That's what, that's, that's what we'll say. Uh, but the honest fact is we've just, we've had 200 plus, you know, over 200 years of law and recorded documentation of how things are going to shake out. Well, every time a new law comes down, we all update contracts. We all update, you know, arbitration agreements, mediation agreements without getting too, you know, boring or in the weeds we're staying ahead of these things. So the whole job, you hire a lawyer so he can predict what the judge is going to say, what the other lawyer is going to say. What I can tell a lot of my clients is, hey, listen, don't worry. When your opponent hired counsel, that lawyer is going to tell them what you want me to tell them. They're going to say, hey, you're being ridiculous. You're being stupid. The other side's going to win. So we can just sit back. And that's why a lot of times uh, clients will get upset or they'll get uh, frustrated and not understand why the attorneys for both parties get along and have a beer afterward, you know, after court is because I'm probably telling my client what he wants me to tell my, you know, what he knows I need to and vice versa. Um, you know, the lawyers are, are usually when they don't get uh, too emotional, they're, they're pretty much the neutral party, which is what you want. So, yeah. so you want to take the, I, I noticed that, um, the lawyers take the emotion out of it and it's just business. It's just two, two parties trying to work something out. We try to, um, I, I, that's been the way I've been taught to practice law. It's how I found the most success. Uh, anytime I have gotten emotional, I, one of the lawyers in my firm says, Hey, hey you know, reel it back in and you just, you take a deep breath and you calm down. It's not, I'm getting paid to fight this fight, but it's not my fight, which is why I get to see clearly and see a few more options. And I can, you know, I can clearly see who the knucklehead is. And if it's my own client, I can tell them, you know, you're paying me to give you my opinion. My opinions, you're being unreasonable. So we, we, we are in a, an area outside of a major metropolitan area. You're dealing with a lot of small business law and, and small businesses are the, are the, uh, you know, backbone of any community. I have to ask this with COVID-19 impacting businesses so greatly, whether it's New York city or, you know, out in Wyoming, what kind of legal challenges are business owners facing? How does your firm help them, you know, move around and be adaptable during this time? Well, one of the things my firm does, and uh, I can happy to say it was my idea uh, is that, we do kind of a more predictable basis as far as payment goes. So I know if you, if you come to me, Travis wants to set up a business. Okay. He wants to set up Oscar Mike radio incorporated. I know you're going to need certain things. You're going to need articles of organization. You may need a contract one or two. If I presume somebody's going to want to pay you for your services or you may have to buy something and you're going to need a contract. So I know you're going to need a few things and I, I go over with you. What do you think those things should be? And I, what I think they should be and why. And once I do that, I can say, all right, stick with me for a year and I can spread this price tag out. 
as opposed to, hey, come see me when you have five grand, you know, or 3,500 bucks or whatever it may be, depending on what you want. And uh, so spreading that hurt out, spreading that pain point out, it allows you to get up and running and earn some money so you can actually pay me with it. Um, because I, again, I've been a small business owner and I'm still in a certain way, a small business owner here with the firm. So uh, I understand that the cash flow issues and how those things help. Other things I can do again, since I've been there and I know what your hurt is, and I know what you're, you know, you're going through. I can talk to you a little bit more and offer a little bit more advice and mentoring, having not only run a small business before law school, but now run a small business after law school. And here's some pitfalls I wish I had looked out for. And did you think about this and things like that? So one of the things that interests me is I noticed that in bigger um, law firms in, in the area that I'm in, it gets very impersonal real quick. You're just a, a case file. You might not even see an attorney for the first couple of weeks, even month before you know anything happens. You're going to talk to their paralegal, their administrative assistant, and research people before you can talk to them. It would seem that in your situation, you get to really work with the business owner in this case. Uh, we'll talk about criminal law here in a second and become part of their process and business and form the relationship versus a, a larger law firm. Oh, I insist on it. Um, that, that is the difference. And uh, you're, you're going to pay a little less because we don't rent a skyscraper. You're going to pay a little less because I don't have 25 staff. I have five. Um, but you're going to get a little more because I know I'm going to run into you in the grocery store. If you sell something I use, I'm going to come buy from you. And so I'm going to have egg on my face if you're sitting there saying, you know, I've been trying to get a hold of you, Aaron, where you've been. Um, so living and working in the same community has that uh, dichotomy of a relationship where I have to mind my business. Otherwise, you know, I'll get I'll get outed. Um, but it's more than that. We, we choose our clients very carefully. We choose who we want to be in business with because, you know, with a smaller price tag on our rent, on our offices, on our staff, I don't, I'm not up against the gun where I have to take your money. You know, I can choose to take your money or not. And when the good thing that a lot of business owners don't understand is, you know, um, if you have a smaller firm like ours at a phone call and at a text distance, anytime you want, if something happens, if Walmart wants to buy your company, then I went to school with guys who work at those big glass building firms and I have their phone call away from me. They'll take my call. They may not take yours. And so you get access when you need it, but your billable hour doesn't go up to what theirs has to be in those buildings until we need it. And that's where my advice comes in is I say, okay, you know what? It's time to hire a bigger gun or the other favorite example I like to use is what you think you need in a contract it may take you eight hours to explain or really go through the, the rigmarole with someone in that big glass building. And that's it, you know, anywhere from 500 to 1200 an hour where it takes me 30 minutes to explain it to them because we both went to the same school and they understand when I say certain words, I actually mean those certain words. They don't have to stop and explain what those words mean to make sure I, I know what I, what I'm doing. So it really goes back to the old saying, a, a fool does represent himself in court. You need Absolutely. that legal experience. Um, just for me and my personal experience, uh, the, the attorney that I worked with, uh, you know, very good attorney, you know, she told me there's, there's three things that uh, a lawyer is looking for in a client is first, first and foremost, prompt payment. 
that they want prompt payment. And, and I, I, I adhere to that and it's been a positive experience. Second thing she said is proper adherence to protocol. If I tell you to do something, you're, you're paying me to tell you what to do, even though you don't want to do it, but you got to do it. And here's why I kind of want to pick your brain about, about that a little bit, Aaron. And then the last thing she's like positive referrals. So if you send me clients that become paying clients, when your name comes up on my, uh, you know, speed dial, I'm going to take your call sooner than somebody who's wasted my time with uh, tire kickers. So what was she talking about? I mean, I know the answer, but when she's talking about doing what she tells me to do, it sounded like, and I've talked to other lawyers I've known, military and otherwise, who are like, it's very frustrating. You have this person paying you anywhere from two to $600 an hour. You tell them what to do because you're trying to help them out. They completely ignore you, completely just say, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And then a, a, a $200 an hour problem becomes a $20,000 problem real quick. That's right. What's that like? I'm sure you've experienced it. Maybe you haven't, yeah. but, but what's that like to deal with? Because expectations change, people get upset, and, and it becomes hard real quick, Right. It does. And you remember uh, earlier I said um, the goal of a, a really good attorney, especially in a counseling mentality, is to never be surprised. And that includes by your own client. So I have to go, all right, listen, here's my advice. And it's not the, you know, I'm your dad, do as I say, not as I do, or I'm your dad because I say so is why you need to do this. It's none of that. It's, hey, here's what you should do. If you don't, or my personal favorite, when you don't, here's the things that'll happen. And I'll be honest with you, I don't set my clients up, but I do give them an example early on. So I say, if you don't do these things, this is what will happen. And those things aren't that important in the big scheme of things. I don't tell them that, but they're not because I want to give them an opportunity to prove to themselves, I know what I'm talking about and that I'm right. And when they don't do A and B, C, and D happen, they go, Aaron, you'll never believe it. I bet I will believe it. You know, you're facing B, C, and D, and you're hoping E doesn't hit you in the face. Yeah, I believe you. All right, listen, here's what we're going to do. And we roll through it again. I'll go, okay, if you don't do these things, here's what's likely to happen. And they're not chicken little waiting for the sky to fall anymore because they know if they don't do, you know, F, G, and H, they know I and J are coming. Um, so that's what I try to do, but that's exactly right. You know, in security contracting, I, you know, I would work with private con uh, clients and things like that. And I would say, okay, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. Well, why would that happen? Because you pay me to tell you that's why, you know, I know what I'm talking about. If I don't fire me. Well, it can't be that simple. Um, you know, one of the things I find interesting is it is the practice of law. And when I think about the practice of law, I think of experience. And I'm just curious, how is it like working with your, your father-in-law who has been in business for, for almost 30 years and you've been a part of that? You know, he's built this foundation. Do you ever find yourself going to him to, you know, talk to a client or you know, bouncing things off him to understand, you know, how, th how we should approach this problem? Every day. Every day. Um, I, uh, if I see that 4.30 rolls across the clock and I haven't gone and spoken to him, I'll just go talk to him to make sure. I tell him, hey, here's what I've done today. Did I miss anything? You know, and I mean, 
it's it, it's just a sounding board, you know. Um, and it's a fresh perspective, like you said. I mean, the the law of the world was a lot different 30 years ago, and so his experiences and my experiences couldn't be more different for the fact that we're in the same profession. And uh, it's just great having that sounding board, which is why, I mean, I probably could have with what I know about marketing, my ability to run super lean and things like that. Sorry about that. Um, my ability to run super lean and all these things, I probably could have hung my own shingle and did okay. And that's lawyer parlance for just open up my own shop. Um, I probably could have done okay, but uh, I could never replace or pay enough to get the experience I get here under his name. Um, and just able to, you know, kick in his door anytime I want and ask him, you know, any, any fleeting question. Um, well, go ahead. One of the things that comes to mind that, I, that I've asked several lawyers before is I, I believe you get what you pay for when it comes to, you know, attorney counsel. But also, I, I've had several attorneys tell me, please, you know, if you have as a client a gut feeling that someone is giving you bad legal advice, that's the time to go find somebody else to talk to. You're not going to break any kind of, uh, you know, it, it's your money, your time, your situation. Get that extra help. And, you know, these aren't uh, people out of Suffolk Law telling me this. These are the, the old guys I meet down at the BFW who come there, who've been practicing law for 30, 40 years, who are like, get yes, like an opinion. Get that perspective from somebody who's experienced. Uh, and, and I'm just curious, you know, do you find that to be the case, you know, not only in your own practice, but with people that you come across in the courtroom? I think a lot of things, you know, that don't pass the smell test, don't pass it for a reason. You know, so everyone has experience, regardless of who it's from. They've operated in some capacity for as many trips around the sun as they have in this country, most of them. You know, exclude everything I'm about to say for immigration, because that's just a whole nother ball of wax. But other than that, you grow up in these customs and hearing certain things and watching TV and things just being a certain way. And you have a pretty good feeling in your gut about what's right or what's just. And the law does its best to make those things happen. And judges, for the most part, do their best to make those things happen. So if a lawyer is telling you that, you know, down is up and up is fish, yeah, absolutely go ask another one. And another thing that I think you might have been just knocking on the door of is attorney-client privilege. Attorney-client privilege is the client's privilege. Okay, it's my, it's ethically bound on me. I can't go discuss their case. It's their case though. They can go discuss whatever they want with whoever they want. I may advise them not to go discuss it with the bum on the street or opposing counsel, but if they want to go see a different attorney who doesn't have a conflict and just ask them, absolutely. And, uh, you know, part of the business of getting what you pay for that, um, helps firms like mine that have senior counsel and you know junior counsel if you will or younger counsel is i can go do you know x hours on your case for this lower rate and if i get in trouble or i need some help or we'll get in hot water i can go ask the senior partner i can go ask the owner for a higher rate but it's for such little time and it just crushes what i could have taken 10 hours to figure out myself you know, so having tiered payments, it's why paralegals do so much of the work. 
because I don't want to bill you at my rate for stuff my paralegal could have done. No, I've I'm heard that. I'm going to review it all at the end. I, I've had, uh, you know, guys I've, I've, I've talked to um, in veteran circles get all kind of fired up. You know, I, I pay all this money. I've dealt with the paralegal more than the lawyer. That's, 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 that's bogus. That's wrong. And you just explain why that is. And Hey, let me, let me be honest. A lot of attorneys do not like phones. They don't like to get tied down on the phone. They'd rather put it in writing and this and that and blah, blah, blah. I found out very, very early on in my career, in my adulthood and my everything, there's certain things that just every, almost anything can be solved in person. 90% of that can be solved on the phone. You know, a phone call, a five-minute phone call between me and you can solve a lot of things that an email just can't because you can read tones into my messages that weren't there or, or whatever the case may be. But really, it's just the attention, the value, and the time of saying, hey, cool, I pay this guy a lot of money, and he doesn't mind taking the time to pick up the phone and call me. And that's right. Now, Aaron, now Aaron I, I got I to ask you, though. I know for a fact, very intimately, that lawyers and attorneys bill on the 15-minute cycle. A lot of them. So depending on, depending on the payment plan, I don't. I, I, okay, so <laughs> what I would do sometimes is make sure I had at least ten minutes of stuff to talk about before mm -hmm. I pick up the phone to make sure that I got my fifteen minutes worth. In other words, I didn't. I, I mean, some some people just call up their attorney just to gripe for five minutes. I'm like, no, no, no. And when I figured out that, okay, wow, okay, that's how it works. That, that's what I did. You don't do that. That's fine. Um, well, to be more clear, they actually bill in a six-minute increment because that's a tenth of an hour. Uh, so your $500 an hour is actually 10 50-minute chunk. Or I'm sorry, 10 $50 chunks. And uh, I happen to know about some uh, some attorneys and some some you know billing uh, structures, and they will write 15 emails inside of 10 minutes, inside of six minutes. Well, you can't bill a client less than a six minute increment. So what they just do, you know, they build the same six minutes, 15 times. Um, and ethical, absolutely not, but hard to track. And, and I'm not casting aspersions on larger firms here, but it's a lot easier for larger firms with larger bills and larger clients to hide those things. It's very difficult when I sign you know, Bob's bicycle shop. It's very difficult for me to built in any kind of billing like that. So I just don't bother. I'm not going to count your six minutes. And does, that go, say, go ahead. does that go back to your, your, you know, your belief and your, your drive that this is you're in the community as a community partner and you want that person to come back and do, do business with you and you want them to succeed. It does. It also looks at a, I'm looking for long-term relationships here and in long-term relationships, I hope there's going to be an ebb and a flow of legal work. It's not just always going to be, I need my lawyer all the time. My house is on fire, you know, figuratively my house is on fire. If it's like that, maybe I'm not the best lawyer for you. Maybe you're not the best client for me because obviously I'm not getting you to a safe place where you're not on fire all the time. Um, so what I want is, Hey, you know what? If our contract says you get two to three phone calls a month on an ongoing basis and you need six this month, I'm not going to say, okay, cool. Don't have to talk to you next month because I'm expecting the ebb to just kind of flow back down and things to calm down. But I'm not going to ditch you when things get crazy. That's not what an ongoing contract is about. But 
you know, there's a basis to, again, spread out the pain of legal fees because some, just like insurance, some months you're going to be paying when nothing happens, when, but when something does happen, a lot of the sting is taken off because you've been paying when nothing was Absolutely. Absolutely. That's my business model personally. And I, I, I model it after companies that are, you know, either large enough or inexperienced enough or treading in, in waters where they need legal support, but they just don't have the, the time, the money and the resources to hire full-time legal counsel. Understood. And, it's, and speaking of legal counsel, you, you work with small business, but you mentioned earlier that you also do criminal law. I do. And so unlike Unlike criminal law, small business law, where you're barred does not matter. So the fact that I'm in Louisiana, if you have a, uh, you know, you're making bourbon in Kentucky and you want to give me a call and you want to, you want me to walk you through the LLC paperwork in Kentucky, I can do that. That's something that I'm able to do. Criminal law is restricted because criminal law and family law are the two most diverse areas of law across different states. What is a crime in Louisiana may not exactly be a crime in Texas or it may carry different punishments or things like that. Um, but yes, I do, I do a good bit of criminal law. Um, my, the way our parish, as you mentioned, different than county, but our parish does it is um, we have public defender contracts. And so public defenders aren't full time or they don't have to be. Uh, so they can go to firms. Well, our firm has one of the public defender contracts. So we get a certain amount of money every month and I handle a certain docket. And everybody goes in front of that judge is assigned to me as a public defender unless I have a conflict. Uh, so yeah. Well, it's just interesting that a, a lot of lawyers I know only focus on one aspect of law, whether it's merger and acquisition law, trade law, bankruptcy law, you know, probate law, of course. And then, you know, you're, you're, you're somebody I've met who has two different disciplines. And I'm just curious, is there any difference in experience? Is it the same set of skills business-wise? Is it any different? Um, it's just, in, in, in my limited experience in dealing with lawyers, it's not something I run across very often. It's not, and that's a big difference in rural versus uh, urban communities and urban lawyers. Urban okay. lawyers, I mean, if I'm, I could be a lawyer, I do bankruptcy for people between 25 and 45 years old, male preferred over female. And I could make that client base. And if I'm in Dallas, I could probably drive a really nice car and do very, very well and only stick to my client base. Simple facts are in a rural area, you, you know, you're left to your own devices and you may have to expand a little bit. And, you know, if you get uncomfortable, whatever you call on some support, you call for some help. But there are people, uh, there are what I call walk-in lawyers and walk-in lawyers will take anything that walks in the door, whatever it may be. Um, and again, that's just small, small town. Uh, there's an old saying, you know, one lawyer town, that lawyer is poor, two lawyers in a town, they're both rich. <laughs> you, know, you need two lawyers to fight, right? But uh, criminal, you know, coming out of the Marine Corps, having been, I was a firearms instructor in the private sector and stuff like that. So I, I'm not real shy when it comes to public speaking or anything like that. This is actually my first podcast interview. And, you know, I, I just, I don't mind jumping in and just kind of running my mouth. And so for that reason, criminal law was kind of thrust on me as like, you have to be in trial. You're just not worried about standing up and talking in front of a judge and it doesn't matter. So no, I'm, I'm not. They're, they're people too. And they have the same, the same degree I do and let's go. Um, and that makes me very appealing to most of my criminal defendant clients because I'm not very, you know, reserved or, or uptight or lawyerly. 
I'm blunt and I'm straightforward and I know the law and I'm not worried about arguing it. And it makes me attractive to some of my business clients as well, though it's off-putting to some, but uh, that's okay. Yeah, we, we get that. And, you know, us, us Marines, um, I'm, I'm told that myself. And, you know, the people that love it, love it. And more people love it than hate it. So I, I just, I'm not going to change. That's good to know. Um, so you're in this law firm in Ruston, Louisiana. This is family, you know, centered, family owned. Um, you mentioned growth. Uh, as your father-in-law is, you know, been in this 30 years, I have to, uh, you know, I don't want to assume, but I have to think that there is some kind of aspect of transition coming up. You, you know, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of change going on, I have to think, for your firm. You know, and situations are changing. So how are you guys all handling change? Well, um, we have, you know, we discuss what we think is going to happen and what we want to happen. And we, and we try and make those things as close as possible. It's, it's ironically not much different than, uh, than discussing it with a small business client. And I kind of look at the firm as my first and main client. Uh, and so I sit down with the other attorneys or soon to be my wife, my sister-in-law, my father-in-law. I say, Hey, okay, what do we want? And you know, what do we think? is going to happen and how do we make the two as close as possible and uh you know obviously marketing was a big part 30 30 years practicing he never had a website never had a facebook never had an internet pro uh, presence at all whatsoever never never had a billboard anything like that and i know depending on your your listeners some of these might be strange because different states have different rules and laws when it comes to where attorneys can and can't advertise Louisiana is a very big billboard advertising state for some reason. A lot of personal injury attorneys get on billboards, you know? Yep. And uh, so I came in and I said, okay, well, we need a website. And he said, why? I've never gotten a turn or I've never gotten a client off of the internet. And I said, yeah, that's because you're not on the internet. <laughs> you know? So we got him a, a Google My Business Suite profile and a, and a website and all these things. And so, you know, now RustinLawyers.com is us. And the fact that I was able to secure RustinLawyers.com kind of shows you the market as well. You know, I, I'm not sure why, and it's kind of a phenomenon. I'd be really interested to follow up with anybody who uh, wants to reach out to me or to you about why they think this is, but there's a very large age gap in attorneys and it's, about my age, which is, I'm in my mid thirties, and about my father-in-law's age, which he's in his sixties. And there's not hardly any attorneys between them in those age groups. And I know people were going to law school. I know law schools were successful. So I don't know if they all just got sucked into urban areas during the booms, or if they ran to the urban areas during the downturns, the 08s and 2014s and things like this. Um, but it just seems like there's a lot of solo practitioner old timers out there who don't have anyone to take over for them. And there's a lot of young guys like me who are just hanging their own shingle because they don't want to get caught up in the rat race of the urban areas and they don't know where else to go except rural. I got a friend of mine who is, um, in his third year at Suffolk law in, in, in Boston and it's not the same thing, but he said, you know, it's a very grueling career path. If you let it, let it, he's like, first of all, getting through law school is kind of like, you know, the military where they want to weed out the weak. So you, you, they, they purposely, you know, test you to make sure that you can, you know, do the job. And then to make money, you have to really hustle 
in a way that uh, people don't understand that that the lawyers have to do that. And, and you know, he's thinking about doing something else because he just doesn't want to deal with the hassle. He just thought he'd go and practice law. And I think you have an advantage here. I'm hearing somebody who practices law, but also has that business centric mindset to understand how to run a business. And that has to help you advise other people. That's, that's, that's not common. It, it helps me a lot advise other people, but more it helps me run a firm. And uh, as you said, I'm not running a firm yet, but that's definitely in the cards. That's definitely down the road. That's, that's the expectation is that he's going to transition to, you know, kind of an emeritus status and all step into the day-to-day operations. Um, but uh, so self-awareness, I would say, is the number one thing. If you think you want to go to law school, if, if you are in law school and you think you want to practice this way and not that way or however, just be self-aware. Do you want to run a law firm or do you want to practice law only? Do you want to do both? If you only want to practice law, then there's plenty of people like me. I need, you know, as many lawyers as I can get who only want to practice law because I can sign enough clients to keep them all busy. I know I can. You know, it's ironic. Practicing the law for my clients slows me down from signing more clients. You know, I love helping my clients. I love practicing law, but in my particular firm, the skill sets that each of us have, I'm, I'm the one who signs clients. I'm the one who sells clients. I'm the one who does that stuff. Um, now, my father-in-law is extremely skilled at it because he 30 years of he had to, you know, and so he knows exactly how to do it. And he's taught me a lot of things I didn't know. But natural personalities, I, I don't, if he didn't have to, I don't think he'd ever come out of his office. I think he likes to read and write and research and practice law. And if he never had to talk to a client, I don't think he would. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, um, there's, there's a whole team of, of lawyers like that in different places. I mean, Walmart probably has a hundred of those type of lawyers and one of me, you know, for every one of me. Um, and so it's just different strokes for different folks, but your, your friend, I would give him some solace in the fact that there's two grinders to or three real grinders in becoming an attorney. One's going to law school and making it through two is passing the bar three is practicing law and they're all completely different. They all have completely different skill sets and there's completely different styles and ways to do all three of them. And so, you know, don't give up uh, on practicing law just because you don't like law school or you don't, or you hear horror stories or whatever the case may be, because it's just different for everybody. Yeah. Well, you know, Aaron, this is why I love doing, uh, you know, Oscar Mike radio is getting to talk to people like yourself who had a really different career path and path in life. And who also, you know, one of the things I, I am really, you know, pleased to see is, you know, once again, it's the military veteran who gets out of the military, reinvents himself. So you got the military, you did the, the private side, and then you to reinvent yourself to be self-aware, to go into law, do those things you just said. And now, even though you're practicing law, you're trying to become something else. It's just a gradual progression of, of growth in a way that a lot of people don't see. And I'd have to think for people looking for a, a legal practice in the Ruston area, Louisiana, that offers something different than say, you know, most of your, your competitors or peers in, in, in your area. 
It does, you know, I, I would say the biggest, uh, the two biggest things that give me an advantage over uh, non-veterans and things like that, especially in the practice of law is one, I'm used to constantly reinventing myself because every unit I went to, every different aspect, there was always a, you know, there's an F and G period where you just have to be the new guy, suck it up and learn what you don't know and realize you don't know what you don't know. And then second is calling for support. You know, you, hey, I am this designation. I am this guy. I'm in this unit. Hey, I may know that thing, but that's not the role that I'm supporting the mission in today. So I'm humble enough and realize enough that we have to call in support. And there's just guys out there who are better suited to do what I can do. And the mission is the number one thing. And in the practice of law, the mission is the client. And so I have no problem sending some of, or sometimes all of his work across the street to another attorney. And that attorney, I've gotten calls constantly. Hey man, like I really appreciate that referral. That was a right up my alley. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Why would I want to research and Google and learn all the crap you already know? And I hope you return the favor. Don't go learn criminal law. Just send me the guy. You know, I'm not going to steal him. I'm not going to cook him and eat him. You know, I'm going to do the work and I'm going to say, hey, go back to your dude because that was your dude. Or if he sticks with me, well, I mean, I guess he gets to make the choice. But just doing the best things that we're all capable of doing and enjoy doing uh, are, are a big thing to me. And earlier you alluded to having two practice areas. And uh, I think it's it's imperative uh, to have at least more than one thing that lights you know lights you up because you're going to get sick of one thing. There's days and I go home to my wife and I just say, you know, today was not a good day to be a criminal defense attorney. And she'll say, well, you, what are you working on tomorrow? I'll say small business stuff, you know, because you just got to re relight yourself and, you know, keep yourself moving forward and, and happy. And sometimes that, that angle doesn't work. So we shift and reevaluate and move forward. Awesome. So as we wind down here, I got to ask about your wife who you call the CO. I interviewed a Marine business owner a couple weeks ago and he talked about his wife and what an impact she had on his ability to, you know, get his business going. What has that been like? Um, you know, what's that dynamic like, you know, marrying the woman who you're eventually going to be working with or already are working with in this, in this field? Um, I enjoy it. I think it's funny. A, a lot of lawyers have, you know, obviously we have a reputation as we're going to pick a fight anywhere there's, there is to pick a fight and we're going to argue everything all the way to the bone and things like that. And it's funny because ever since I've gotten my diploma and my license, it's actually the opposite. You know, two of us go in and we know the other one can argue. So we just, well, really care about this. No, not really. Okay, cool. Well, let's just flip a coin then because it's pretty easy. So when, I've um, both as a Marine and as a businessman, I've dated uh, women who I felt like on some kind of resume didn't qualify, or maybe I didn't qualify to date them, or there was a big power dynamic. And I think there's a huge advantage in marrying your one-to-one -one equal, you know, and in being able to recognize that, whether it's on paper, you just recognize something uh, in that person. And that's what I've done. And so it's easy for me when she argues with me, I don't think she thinks I'm stupid or, you know, dismisses my idea. It's okay. Let me actually listen to what you're saying and respect you as an equal. And, uh, you know, we can go forward. That being said, 
my wife is also my biggest cheerleader and, you know, will support the dumbest ideas I have as long as they're not going to harm, you know, me or her or kids or anything like that. So. Amazing. Amazing. That, that, that's really great to hear. And that's that, the reason I ask about it is, you know, several, several business owners, leaders, nonprofits, CEOs that I've interviewed on Oscar Mike radio have almost all of them have said the same thing that their wife is, uh, whether she's a veteran or not, whether she's a, in the business or not, that relationship has helped uh, grow their business in a way that they can't really quantify. So it, it's just always amazing to hear that kind of support being given. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I'm not in Louisiana. I used to live in Louisiana, uh, drove through Ruston all the time, uh, near Louisiana Tech, if I remember correctly. Ruston, that's right, home to Louisiana Tech. Go dogs. Right. And, um, Terry Bradshaw and uh, his the guy he replaced, who's the, um, the 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 duck call guy. I forget Phil. Yeah, you're talking about a uh, um, yeah Ducks Unlimited. Uh, they are actually out of West Monroe, which is about 15, 20 minutes east. Just just a real sports thing here, real quick. Phil was a starting quarterback at the time. Him and Terry went to Tech, if I remember correctly. Right. He he just walked away from football and you know, Terry got the nod and Terry has said several times that Phil's a better quarterback than he was. I always thought that was funny. I, it is. And I've actually heard that story from, uh, from some tech alum, which uh, is funny. And now it's, uh, you know, Carl Malone now lives here and um, does, you know, invest in the town very well. And, uh, you know, we're glad to have him around, but uh, just, you know, guy who found Rustin like Rustin. Ladies and gentlemen, it's just always a pleasure to get to talk to a veteran who has done the kind of things that Aaron has done. If you're a veteran and you're thinking about reinventing yourself, I hope you get something out of this conversation where if you know what you want to do and can pursue it, you know, you're going to have the kind of success you want. Uh, you know, Aaron, uh, what's the website for people to find Rustin Lawyers or, or the office, law office of James Wilkerson? Uh, is it Rustin? You got it. It's, it's Rustin Lawyers. That's with an S. It's stuck in my mind. It's easy, easy. That's why I got it. I was no, it, 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 you that I could actually get. Well, think about it, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, if you're in Rustin and you need a lawyer, just go to Rustin Lawyers. That is, I mean, there's people that spend a lot of money, Aaron, on branding who, who, got what you did for free that's fantastic and then uh facebook page is the same thing it's uh at rustin lawyers um we do have an instagram i don't i'm not doing it yet because i'm not a 16 year old girl so i don't really know if we're ever going to use it but it's locked up so you'll so you can't use it (laughs) i got instagram and and i I just i I gotta do it and i'm like no one's gonna and it surprises me sometimes so uh, it's funny but I'm going to have all the links to how you can contact Rustin Lawyers and Oscar Mike Radio Post. You can check us out on YouTube, Facebook, and everywhere else. And I want to thank you, Aaron, for coming on the show. I've learned a whole lot, and I hope you have too. And if you need to get a hold of a lawyer, and if you're not in Louisiana but have a small business you're trying to get going, I don't know. Aaron has piqued my interest in a lot of different ways. So thank you very much, Aaron. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, Travis. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. As we say at Oscar Mike Radio, we are mission in flight.